when they hit the stage, they're the best rock band in the world. Like nobody even gets close. There's amazing live bands who write powerful songs, Rage Against the Machine. Um, there's amazing live bands that can make an audience go like this, The Prodigy, stuff like that. Yeah. But like for musicality and as a musician, you sit and watch Queens of Stone and you're like, that's not fair. Right. What the fuck? Like everybody in the band is a fucking badass. Stone Age episode. We got some desert ambience happening for our main player, Mr. Hami. It's like Dune, brother. I'm joined, Rad Dad, with Brother Bear and Sad Dad, making his nickname inauguration today. We're in the Sad Dad Kitchen Studios, and Dude, we're, we're me and me and the Tej. We're super stoked for new queens, but Dishrag here is not. <laughs> I I know I know a little, but I don't know enough. Uh, so you know what? As 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 a musician, I I feel like maybe I'll have some good some good questions. Yes, I'm right. here. I'm here as the straight man. You yes. know, you guys are color commentary. Got it. Yep, that's true. I know. I know. Uh, Rad Dad Ryan's the host, but you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I think first and foremost, everybody wants to know what are you boys drinking? Some tea. Yeah, I got some nice raspberry tea going. Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A nice, it's good for the voices. You guys are both singers. Yeah. I uh, shout into microphones, but yeah, we're we are vocalists for sure. I prefer to be called a sanger. <laughs> Sanger. Sanger. Yeah, I mean, TJ really, he, he does it all. He, he, he can do all of it. I cough he's, a lot. 
You sneeze a lot. I get have you ever had to cough live whistle. but used it? Like you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Sweet. Joshua Hami was born May 17th, 1973, which makes him a Gemini? I don't know. It's been a while since I've been on the dating scene, fellas. Mm-hmm. What about... What, what about May What's 7th? his rising? <laughs> it matters. I mean, when we talk about rock stars, I can't... I, I know that there's a little bit of a disillusion. People are like, we don't have rock stars. We've got Justin Bieber. But I'm like, you haven't looked hard enough... This guy's a rock star. I yeah, Machine Gun Kelly. That's who we're talking about, right? <laughs> yes. The discography of Rock MGM. is back, America. MGK. All right, Josh Homme, American singer, songwriter, record producer, best known as founder, only continuous member of the rock band Queens of the Stone Age, uh, which formed in 1996. But before that, he had Caius. Now... I didn't know this, but that's how Josh and Dave Grohl became friends. Because he was a fan of Caius. Okay. And was I thought that they like went to high school together or something like that. No, or- nothing <clears throat> like that. Nothing like that. Uh, Josh, now we're playing his desert ambience tonight because he comes from California. Palm Strings, California. Lives in Joshua Tree. Doesn't he? Doesn't he live in Joshua Tree? Palm Desert. Palm Desert. Mm-hmm. His paternal grandfather was Clancy Capham. Old Clancy. Moved to the area from North Dakota and was an early settler of the valley. I've never been in that area. Have you been to the desert before? Uh, yeah. I've driven through it a few times just, you know, touring. Uh, it's really crazy. Like, when you're in SoCal and the different terrains that you can go through in the matter of like an hour or two you go from like the most beautiful brightest green in the grass and the trees that you've ever ever seen in your life to mountains to ocean to crazy like dune desert like you're in the middle of like egypt or something it's just mind-boggling it's beautiful it's so beautiful down there yeah, I, I was I drove through on the PCH. Uh, my dad took me out there. He's like, I'm going to gamble. And I was like, I'm going to smoke and brood. And then we drove up through, through the desert somewhat. And I was like, God, what do you do here? Nothing? You can drive through uh, migrations of monarch butter- butterflies. It's true. <clears throat> That's what we did. Whoa. Yeah, on accident. Like how many? Like thousands of them. Thousands. Our wow. entire van was just covered in yellow. Like it, it was like squash, like oh. yellow squash. <laughs> oh, because they're all dying. Well, yeah, you're like murdering you're, these. You're yeah. driving yeah. down the highway, and all of a sudden, you're just like in a swarm, like this massive swarm. And by the time you come out of it, you're just like covered in butterfly guts. R.I.P. But man, this is the Lisa Frank story you've never heard. I don't know what this has to do to, with Queens of the Stone Age. But, I, but like, no, I, I mean, you're, you're, we're getting into the desert vibe. Yeah, the desert. For we're sure. hanging out with the with the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. You know, Roadrunners are fucking mean too. Like those fuckers, those are those are badass birds. Yeah, just saying. I'll I'll take a sandhill crane over a Roadrunner any day. 
Oh, shit. Bird talk. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. This is another episode of Bird Talk with your well, host, Dish Rag. That's right. Anyway, so Han moved with his family on a regular basis due to his father's work residing in many towns around the valley. He later discussed having to create his own fun as a child growing up in the desert, stating that he did not start playing music to get girls or make money, and that he is... Uh, I call bullshit. <laughs> That man, that man had rock star swagger even as a baby. You know he's trying to get tail. I mean, he has a song called "If I Had a Tail." So he's. I, isn't that about diarrhea? I think so. If I grew a tail. <laughs> it is. It, yep, it's in the liner notes on like Clockwork. I know it. And he assumed he would grow up to be a contractor like his father. So his dad was a contractor. Dude, our dad, our stepdad's kind of like a contractor. That dude is always making stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ham, Hami also has ties in Idaho and has talked about his formative experiences there, such as seeing Carl Perkins perform at the Sandpoint Music Festival in his first time purchasing his own electric guitar, an Ovation Ultra GP in a Sandpoint music store. Spit on my computer. He began playing guitar at the age of nine after his parents denied his wishes for a drum kit. So, I don't know. He does play drums a little bit, not like a lot. Like Peter Gabriel technically was a drummer to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He plays in Eagles of Death Metal, or at least he used to. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, he took guitar lessons for the next few years, but his teacher <clears throat> mostly focused on polka. Right, I, I, yeah, okay. So I, that, I think he talks about that in, in, um, in his like guitar moves things and other, other interviews that I've seen. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that really explains some of his style and yes. some of his technique. Yeah, if you listen to especially throughout his career, yeah, you can kind of hear it. And his, especially in the way that he plays and his scales, it's kind of fascinating because I'm like, I never would have thought of. Polka is stoner rock, but here we are. And don't freak out if you're a Queens fan and you're already like, he said it. He said stoner rock. Fuck this guy. Sorry, man. It's in the it's in it's in the zeitgeist. I can't help it. So anyway, so he 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 gets into this polka style. Uh, he did not learn. Uh, Oh, so so he supposedly did not learn of a bar chord or a pick until his third year of lessons. That probably really like benefited his playing. It challenged him. Oh, I think yeah. it gave. I think that's why sometimes some of the best guitar players aren't formally trained. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like they learn based on feel and their listening. They find their own way. Yeah. And then they develop their own like weird style, and, and the, he's a perfect example of that. Nick, who are some of your favorite guitar players? Um, Kurt Vile was a big one for me uh, when I started uh, getting uh, getting like into my twenties and like trying to find stuff that wasn't like metal or grindcore or you know what whatever I was listening to then. Um, so yeah, I mean yeah, when it comes to finger style, I would say Kurt was probably the the biggest. Um, that you know wanted me to play that way um or you know got me kind of interested in that so then you know he got me into john fahey and um towns van sant uh towns yeah yeah 
Totally. Yeah. I actually, um, I, I don't know if I was really, um, buying Towns records before I heard Kurt. So yeah, you might be right about that. So definitely got into some country and stuff because of it. Um, and then other than that, um, dude, like that, that, um, Stan Getz and Zhao Gilberto stuff like Bossa Nova, I started getting into and all of that. So that, that was huge just to start looking at the guitar in a different way. That's a melodic instrument. And like you said, I, I think, um, you know, as soon as you start playing with your fingers and you, you know, you're not just hammering with a pick, you're like, oh, there's actually all these different voicings I could be using. Um, so, um, yeah, as far as like a lead guitar player, I mean, Van Halen, come on. Uh, that, that's just you. the guy. Um, and I, I like, I like riffs too at the end of the day. So as inspiring as Kurt was like, I just, you know, I like metal shows. I like punk shows. I like high energy. So Van Halen was always the guy because it was just so aggressive and just so out there. I mean, no, nobody else was playing like him at the time. Yeah. For sure. I'm. I mean, we, that was a huge loss. Yeah. It's honest. Honestly, he was one of the first people that I got into because I was such a huge fan of Thriller as a little tot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who plays that lick and beat it. And that's a detuned song. So, like, mm-hmm. and this is, I mean, I think in, es- in essence, to talk about Josh Joshua Hummy, you have to kind of, like, bring into the fact, like, Caius really brought about and was an influence on guitar and especially the, that type of, like, down-tuned mm-hmm. style. Um, so, you know, Eddie Van Halen specifically really like that beat it riff was like formative for me and i i feel like mm-hmm. i remember you playing it on bass at lights at sea practice <laughs> oh yeah yeah and i'm like oh well we actually um so i i had a small sidestep in the conversation but i, no, I had a, a teacher in uh middle school and then she actually uh, went on to uh, also teach high school and uh, she was a social studies teacher um and she would let us like perform songs and then um she like i i got free reign to like record songs then i could just play them on a boombox. so me and my friends would get together and just play songs and you know the songs had little to do with any of what the subject matter was like we had one about uh davy crockett like <laughs> shooting people with a musket and like the whole song's just about how, how did we... david crockett kill all them coons <laughs> it just yeah it made no sense it was just like like he he's such a boss and he he just you know he's a gangster like we just like, we talk about him like he's like a mobster or something anyway um beat it was one of the songs that we covered um so i played guitar and then our friend sang and we didn't have a good way to track like drums and everything so like my buddy chris was playing drums my friend eric sang and his voice was cracking the whole time and then i played just lead guitar and that was it it was a three-piece band we tracked it on one microphone that was just the vocal microphone at the same time and we played it on a boom box for the whole class so that's my that's my beat it story and uh yeah i hell yeah <laughs> no, speaking of first bands, his first band was called Autocracy. Autocracy? Autocracy. Autocracy. In 1985, at the age of 12, despite his musical success, he continued to work on his grandfather's farm until releasing the first Queens of the Stone Age album at the age of 25 because he didn't want to lose his grip on reality. What a good man. That's cool. Keep it grounded. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Go outside, stand, touch grass, put your feet in the ground, folks. Caius. Now, I'm going to play a quick song from Caius so that we can hear his first band. And I took little samples from each release. So here's a song called Gardenia off Welcome to Sky Valley. I love that because it just it's just quintessential I'll take you down down. (laughs) it's quintessential stoner rock but also fucking rad yeah like I I, kind of sounds like early Ozenza too (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah I also want to mention in the description of the episode there'll be a playlist of all the Queens of the Stone Age Caius stuff. So, yeah, his first band Caius. You know when they recorded their first album? Granted, he was 14 years old in 1987. Okay, so I'm gonna break this down. This is like almost like your story with with Lights at Sea in a way too. Um, so. Hom formed a punk band influenced heavy uh, punk rock influenced heavy metal band in Palm Desert High School called Cats and Jammer with schoolmates John Garcia, Brent Bjork, and Nick Oliveri and Chris Cockrell. Hom was the band's guitarist after changing their name a few times. First to Sons of Caius, Caius Sons of Caius uh, is a reference to Dungeons and Dragons. Which is awesome. Which is fucking rad. It's, I never knew that. That's sick. Well, it it's it speaks to us because we have our own little Dungeons and Dragons group right now. Me and Brother Bayo mm-hmm. um, love Dungeons and Dragons. So after they did go through a few name changes, but they settled on Caius eventually. Basically, because at the time, one name, one word names were kind of the thing. And Caius is sweet. Like, it's cool. The band garnered a cult following by the early 1990s. He was actually 17 when the first record was released. Wow. Now, that made me wonder, were you 17 when we played our first show? Yeah. So you you kind of have some similarities there. The band garnered this cult following. That's when they met Dave Grohl on tour, became friends. Often driving for hours to isolated locations in the desert and plugging into generators to perform. These events, known as generator parties, 
parties became urban legend among Rob rock subculture the band became famous both famous for their heavy downtune groove oriented music and infamous for their backstage fights with local la bands when they traveled into town to play gigs this soon brought the attention of chris goss who became the band's mentor help meant mentor not men minotaur <laughs> helping the band he was a centaur <laughs> holy shit man <laughs> the desert is fucking crazy <laughs> um he uh, helped the band sign to a label and eventually producing them exclusively in an effort to preserve, preserve their sound. Due to Hami being younger than 18 at the time of the band's signing, his parents signed the contract on his behalf. Caius released four albums, Wretch, Blues for the Red Sun, Welcome to Sky Valley, and The Circus Leaves Town, of which the final three Goss-produced efforts are often cited as cornerstones to the development of the stoner rock genre in the 1990s. So, they do four albums and they call it a day. And I think we talked about this recently on an episode and I can't remember. I, no, it was me and me and John from Gimme Danger Radio, John Massel, we all know him. Nick actually used to live with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about it with Isis how they did their thing, they had their sound, they called it a day and it was a good it was a good thing. And every every subsequent interview that I've listened to of Josh talking specifically about Caius, he's just like, it's not going to be as good if we do it again. We we did the best. We did it. And it's out there. And it's good. Like, so I think a lot of people have that, like, we want to see it again, you know? Like, I personally love it when a band is done and they put out their best stuff and they walk away from it like the closing of a book. Mm-hmm. Because I do feel like dragging everybody out there, it, one, it reignites like old bullshit sometimes. And two, in the kind of in the same vein, like when you restarted Still Remains, I think you put out your best record. And I think a lot of it has to do with you guys having, like, reignited your passions. Yeah. And I don't want to overstate that because it's your your baby, too. So I don't know if I'm wrong or right, but I, I think specifically Josh had a thing going back with, like, rock music and wanting to do something that doesn't sound like everybody else. And specifically something that had some hooked to it you know because post that he didn't want to do Caius 2.0 no and that's the thing is nobody wants to just continually do references to their previous things I think we all like generally want to do because I've never seen Nick you've in all your output you've never really done the same thing per se well I mean for what it's worth, I, I, I kind of came full... I, the, the first stuff I really started playing, I mean, you know, I started bass when I was 12, um, so I was, I was just, like, playing, like, Mudvayne and, like, System of a Down, and, you know, some of that's cool. I'll take the System of a Down all day. Some of it's not so great. But, um, you know, it it turned into to metal. Uh, specifically, I was, I was really big into Every Time I Die, um, and I, I was playing, like, 
you know, pop punk and stuff like that too. And now ultimately I'm in a metal band that I would argue sounds kind of like every time I die. So <laughs> just to kind of slap your point in the face, <laughs> I, I, I kind of came back around to like what I first got into. No, I, I mostly, I just want to say <clears throat> when you're doing something, you just don't want to retread. You want to do something from, you want to grow. Yeah. Right. You, you want to. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's just inherent in any artist and just, just keeping curious and, 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 you know, being active, keeping everything fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So Hami moved to Seattle, Washington, briefly abandoning his desire for a music career and attending the University of Washington to study business. During this time, he fell back in with old musician friends such as Ben Shepard and Mike Johnson and eventually agreed to join the Screaming Trees Whoa. as a rhythm guitarist on the Summer Lollapalooza Tour in 1996. A replacement for Johnson, and that continued into the following year. Hami and vocalist Mark Lanigan, R.I.P., became close friends during this time, but disliking the rest of the band's continual disharmony, began considering forming his own band. He founded Gamma Ray, which, for a long time, that could have been the name of Queens of the Stone Age. Because that was, I mean, and, and there was a release from Gamma Ray. Granted, it's kind of i mean you can find it on youtube and i do have a song from it if you guys want to hear oh I, so it's kind of buried it's not something that it's 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 there um so here's here's a little clip here oh it's queen's the song the song was on the first record like about it is you can already sense the difference between that and um Caius kind of immediately like the 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 melody is still there but the fuzz is kind of not as prominent there's no, a little not more at all. there's more like of a strong kind of rock strong song structure I mean, those, those are pretty clean guitars yeah which I kind of love. What's what's yeah. the track name on that? Because that's on there. That's on Queens of the Sony's first record. Yep. Yeah, it's taken off of YouTube. There's a there's a video. It's technically it's Queens of the Sony. It's 1996. Um, yep. Ironwood Studios, Seattle, Washington, released 96. Jo- Josh Hom lead vocals guitar. Uh, number one is If Only Everything, yep, and number two is Born to Hula. Got it. So. Um, yeah, so there immediately, basically, he, he got the bug again, like all of us yeah. do. We're like, I don't want to stop playing music. I don't care if my band's influential. I don't care if I'm 40 years old and can't sing anymore. <laughs> I just want to do it. 
<laughs> Let me do it. Got to keep making stuff, man. 40, 40 years old and still want to rock. The Midwestern musician story. Yep. After a cease and desist from a band of the same name, they had to change it. There's another band. They're like, Ugh. <laughs> We're Gamma Ray. Somebody wants to copy our ska Martian influenced Gamma band. Anyway, so... The first release under the new name would be Caius, Queens of the Stone Age compilation EP, also on YouTube, featuring tracks from both Caius and songs recorded from the Gamma Ray EP sessions from 96, released in late 1997. Queens of the Stone Age released their debut album in 1998. All right, and I'm going to play a track from this album. I fucking love this album. just sad pensive rock that I can completely completely get down with um, 100% love it so this album I never I I had to double back on this one I always thought the first record was um, rated R I had no idea about this record until basically until we started hanging out with Matt and Britt. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, they did have this thing is behind what? Like Mexicola, Regular John. There's so many great songs on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first release was basically, I think what happens is, and this happens to a lot of us. You go into the studio, and a lot of this was recorded and written by Josh. But he, you kind of look back and go, hey, uh, bass players I know, let's see. One, two, which ones can I actually count on? Yeah. And then that list dwindles down even farther. And then, like, who's actually going to show up? And you're like, basically, I'm just going to call the guy from the band I was just in. <laughs> Which is, I get it, I get, I get it, and and Nick is, Oliveri is fucking 
Awesome. Yeah, um, Crusher. So, ex Caius drummer Alfredo Hernandez plays on that. He's amazing. But basically, he had he had moved back to Palm Desert when he recorded that album. You can kind of get that vibe from that record. It has a very desert feel, and I highly recommend you listen to it when driving in the desert because it has that kind of late-night driving feel to it. Hami was left to cover every other instrument and ended up singing for the first time in his career, which is staggering because he's got such a great voice. Mm-hmm. Shortly after recording, Ham and Hernandez were joined by bassist and vocalist Nick Alveri and guitarist, keyboardist, and lap steel player David Ketching. The band was now composed entirely of ex Caius members and roadies. <laughs> there probably aren't that many bands down there. <laughs> or at least there, there might not have been back then. I mean, yeah. Or at least bands that good. I mean, those guys are good. Yeah. You know, they know their instruments. During this time... Uh, Hami had a falling out with Oliveri following the release of songs for the deaf. Now, they, this is actually, I'm sorry, this is after Rated R, they had a falling out. But I wanted to mention it because it's like a through line. Like, he's like his best friend. Yeah. And I think anybody who's ever been in a band knows the struggle of addiction and mental illness and all that stuff and i'm not saying outright that 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 that's oliveri's problem i'm just saying i know that from what i've read from what i've seen online from the videos i've seen i it i feel for josh and that and nick it's it sucks you know as you get older people have shit come up yeah and being a musician isn't a fucking golden ticket you know yeah um so they did, following the release of the debut, release Rated R, and that's when I started to know about them. Remember specifically, Brian Maloko from Placebo covered Feel Good Hit of the Summer. Mm, yeah. And I was like, who is this? Like, this is not... I mean, I loved the song. It's so fucking awesome. In fact, Walmart was like, we're, we're Walmart, and we're not going to sell this <laughs> album. It's all about drugs. They actually said, you have to take Feel Good Hit of the Summer off. And Josh was like, basically, they said, you have to take it off or you have to put like some sort of a warning on the album. And he's like, the album's already called Rated R. Yeah. What else do you want? <laughs> so go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's and, cool. And Walmart did go fuck itself. So during which the band used a wider r- range of instruments to achieve a more relaxed, spacious, and psychedelic psychedelic sound. Though it differed from the band's debut, Rated R became Queens of the Stone Age's first mainstream hit. And it had this song on it, which is one of my favorites.
Buzz came back, and I love that. It's just like before Torch, before a lot of those bands took the formula of downtuned guitars, they just did this thing where it was like poppy heavy before I could. And, and at the time, I remember specifically when this album came out, there was almost kind of like a thing about the name that I didn't like, even though I love it now. Yeah, but at yeah. the time, I was like, Queens of the Stone Yeah, it was kind of weird. Yeah. I remember feeling that way back in the day, too. Like, what is, what is that? Yeah, like, you know? like I thought it was going to be more of like a ween, even though ween is a huge influence on Josh Homme. Yeah. Like, he's like, they're amazing because they're free. Like, they just play whatever they want to play, which totally. I think is fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like, they had a country record basically based around just contract type country players and just did it because they did it they played a 28 and this is all from the rogan interview with Hami, but he was like they played like a 28 minute version of riders of the storm just because they felt like it didn't even sound check it just played it you know that's fucking rad as fuck that's way cool and that's that's kind of as i've doubled back i love this album yeah yeah i really do i the first song and, I, and I'm going to say this. The one thing that I love the most about Queens of the Stone Age, that you're guaranteed every album one, like, 10 out of 10 banger. Some bands put out albums and there's one that you're like, 9 out of 10. Dig it. It's almost there. Needs a little... This band, every single release has a fucking fist up the asshole, <laughs> just like... I just had an enema drain out of me, full-on rock song. I don't like buying their albums because I don't like that experience. <laughs> yeah, it's so messy. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's, it's kind of painful. You get cleaned out. <laughs> but it's every single fucking time. Yeah. Every time. Like, Cleaned you out. Feel, and, and we're about to get into it. The songs for the Deaf album. Good fucking God. So, 2002, Songs for the Deaf. Um, this would be the album that they they really get the fucking shitstorm. This one is what dreams are made of. So basically what happens is um, in Songs for the Deaf, Hami continued his f- filtering of stoner rock and hard rock. <clears throat> Excuse me. The album centers on Hami's memories of uncomfortable rides through the California desert where he had performed in his days with Caius and where there was little to do but listen to Spanish radio stations. Interesting. Now, I mentioned before the thing with band members having fallouts. This is really where it started to... Friction started to happen. Finally, the release of Songs for the Death, death their relationship deteriorated until Hami fired Olive, Oliveri from the band in 2004. Hami reportedly strongly considered breaking up the band at this point, which I get. But at this point, really, what's crazy is that um, this is when Dave Grohl comes in on the drums. And as you heard in the opening clip, like he was a huge fan of Queens from Caius, but now he's playing in a band with their guitar player and Nick who is an incredible bass player and singer. Like, if you've watched any of the live videos of that time, I mean, they are fucking on fire. And... I didn't realize he sang at all in the band. Nick? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. A lot of, yeah, I'll a lot play, of the stuff on Songs for the Deaf. 
Yeah, and rated R. And rated R, yeah. Like, Quick and to the Pointless is one of the best just, like, blasts of rock you've ever heard. Um, so, yeah, like, they that record specifically, I remember I bought Songs for the Deaf, and I remember thinking, like, because at the time, I, I'm almost positive it came with the... Um, one of those digipacks or like enhanced CDs where you get like, you get like all the behind the scenes kind of hubbub. And I remember watching, um, I remember watching the, like they were trying to break down at the time. I loved Josh. I loved the band, but I remember thinking like they got Dave Grohl. Like he's rock star, like superstardom. I I didn't quite understand the, how good Josh was, and he's like telling him how to play the drums in the clip, and I'm like, what the fuck? You can tell Dave Grohl how to play the drums. I figured you, you know, he just came in and he was awesome. But no, like that's that's also the thing that I like about Josh is he's he even in an inter, like a recent interview, he's literally talking to Paul McCartney about him doing like backing vocals or something and on a collaboration they had. I'm like, I would shit myself. Yeah. I, how do you talk to Paul McCartney about music? <clears throat> and, and we'll get into it when we start talking about them crooked vultures, but like, how do you play with these God tier yeah. level musicians right. and, and keep it like on a, I don't know, like a neighborly, conversing like or even a brotherly band member type discussion but speaking of songs for the deaf i uh i just have to play a sampling of this album um so basically let me just pull this up right here when did you is this the album that you got into them from tj uh yeah i remember i was uh I was painting houses for a company in like the Granville, Hudsonville area. And uh, I feel like maybe Evan showed me it. And I remember just painting houses and, and listening to the CD like constantly. Um, just getting there like first thing in the morning, like 6 a.m. in the wintertime. And it was still like so cold and like black outside and you're just in this house by yourself like ni- nice homes but yeah yeah but like just blasting queens of the stone age like it's just kind of such a like weirdly kind of bizarre yeah you know because you're like half awake it's dark out but a great way to have music that just takes you oh yeah and it just you know, it like... just likes that's how you started the day and it was just freaking sweet yeah blast off song actually nick singing on that yeah no that makes way more sense and i've seen it live but not with nick singing it they replaced him with the skinny long-haired kid yeah yeah um 
this Mikey's is the, shoes. This for me was the the Enema song on this album. Yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it when I first heard this. I had this album. I remember. I'm like, it doesn't get any better than this. Like riff wise, I'm yeah. just like, it's so simple. It's so fucking thick and just barreling, and it sounded so fucking good in my car. Yeah. Like, I just wanted to pull up next to the guy blasting Jay-Z and, like, <laughs> couple it with this. I'm like, I like low-end, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the idea of recording the way they did, uh, you know, where everything is just so claustrophobic, you know, the, the, the dead rooms, absolute yeah. dead rooms for the drums, for the guitars, like... Yeah, I mean, I I would think this is how most people got in, because no one knows, you know? Right. I, I remember seeing the music video on MTV2 all the time. I remember, like, the yeah. only time I'd hear, like, terrestrial radio, like, you know, GRD. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it'd be, it'd be the one song, and it's like, it's not all bad. It's yeah, not all bad. I, I was like, I, maybe I'll keep listening to the radio, and then I'm like, you know what? Blind Melon's fine, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> well... <laughs> During the and and again I'm I'm crossing streams here a bit, but like during the monks episode specifically of No Dogs in Space that Marcus Parks did, punk rock Ken Burns himself, Marcus Parks, one of my heroes, he's talking about how music really in that 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 album specifically is post nine eleven. And a lot of the music changed at the time to that strokes Interpol, yeah, 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 yeah. It's where it's not. Kinda, it's kinda like dour and less intense new metal-y stuff kind of went by the wayside, and we yeah. wanted to just have fun again because life was so serious and the world was ending. So the music has this way of kind of changing, kind of based on the way of the world, the way of the zeitgeist, the way of the hive mind in the world just kind of morphed itself. And we were like, yeah, New York City cares. Yeah, PDA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Nick, you were a huge Strokes fan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it just, it got me listening to popular music. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Is This It and Room on Fire are great records. I uh, don't really care for anything beyond those two. Uh, but Room on Fire, I think, was them, like, kind of fully realized. And I, I realized that he's just, it's just rich kids, you know. So at the end of the day, it's it's not my favorite band to talk about. But, um, I mean, I, I think they did something unique. Uh, you know, I, I would say I'd, I'd put them in the same breath as, like, the Hives as far as just, like, it. it's not new, but it's revamped and restylized and and done right um but i would ultimately say the hives are one of the best bands ever i got to hang out with them once what really it was really cool no shit yeah uh i always forget you're a rock star (laughs) we were playing some festival in austria and i remember and this is kind of like side piece but like I, i really remember it because we were like the first band to play that day and my voice was just all done yeah it was an embarrassing set i could not speak i could not scream for sure uh and i had to go to this doctor and get a bunch of medicine and it it fucking worked and it was awesome but anyway yeah uh so like i feel like it was this same festival but like later that night i remember kind of being in like the artist area in some building and uh the hives were playing that evening and uh we were 
kind of like right in the same area that they were in and they were they were kind of like as a band just kind of getting ready to go on stage i think they were kicking a soccer ball around between all of them and then we just kind of joined them and we were all kicking a soccer ball around like talking and yeah joking around a little bit and it was just pretty cool yeah you know i mean who are we to them absolutely nobody but like they were just cool enough to just say hey kick this ball around with us and it was and they were just you know had this great positive energy and really nice guys it was cool I mean, to play that kind of music, and, and I mean, and, and heavy music in general, I honestly, a lot of the bands are pretty health conscious. You got to take care of yourself because it's just brutal stuff to play. And yes, I'm kind of lumping the hives into like this massive thing that I'm calling heavy music, but you know, TJ's band still remains, was a heavy metal band. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think when you make stuff that's that punishing, you do a lot to take care of yourself but you also take care of others around you and that's why heavy music is the shit totally some of the coolest people i've ever met in my entire <laughs> life are heavy music slash horror movie fans yeah yeah Hami began writing the band's next album little best paralyze one of my favorites oh my god <clears throat> one of my absolute favorites named after a lyric from the song's for the deaf hidden track mosquito song lullabies to paralyze created with songs for the deaf touring recruits troy van lewin and joey castillo and collaborators and future recruits elaine johans and natasha schneider of 11 was a critical and commercial success oh, elaine johannes sorry oh that's all right yeah he's incredible he was in he did uh, them crooked vultures with them as well it was was he the other guitar player? Yeah, the bald guy. Awesome. He played with Chris Cornell. He's played with a lot of people. He, that dude, if you follow him on Instagram. Super good follow. Dude, yeah. Like, in he can play anything. Any instrument, anything. He's a madman. Well, I looked it up before we came here because I'm a huge fan of uh, Troy Van Leeuwen as yeah. well because oh, yeah. of his work with A Perfect Circle. He did a lot of the guitars on... 13th Step, which I, I love that record. Yeah, it's a great record. Also, he was uh, touring with Failure for a long time. Failure, one of my favorite bands, because yeah. he was, one of his first projects is where he befriended Kelly Scott, the drummer of Failure. Yeah. Future episode, Failure, but... Um, he's doing the Armed band from Detroit. Woo, woo. Yeah, he's he, also... He collaborates with them. I love that band. He also did... Wild band. Wild uh, band, wild. Things with the Mastodon bassist singer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, gone is Gone. Yeah, Gone is Gone. Yep, but, that's right. He's, uh, I mean, all these guys are rubbing elbows with people I'd love to sh- shoot the breeze with, just fucking, or just, play soccer with or whatever. Yeah, you know? just be in a room for like 20 minutes and just have some sort of a connection, you know. Totally. So, basically, Lullabies to Paralyze enters number five on the Billboard 200, Queens of the Stone Age, best charting album on the Billboard 200 to date. Which is amazing. But also, I want to play one of my favorite songs off this album. Someone, someone is in The the Wolf. wolf. Building up. Building, building, building.
I know everybody's like, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. I'm with you. If you're a fan of this band, you love this. <laughs> so, specifically, what I love about this album and this band, I think overall, and especially this song, is there's this Halloween aspect that really is perfect. Like, if like I, I mentioned metal and horror movie fans, I feel like Queens of the Stone Age and Halloween are like PB and J. Yeah. Fall music to the extreme. Like it just has that vibe to it. One hundred thousand percent. This band just makes me feel drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like listening yeah. to it and the, the, the interplay because the way it ebbs and flows, like you know, the way your memory kind of goes, short term memory gets all screwed up when you're a little messed up, and like that, it's just you just get so lost in the different. You know, members of the band kind of chiming in and chiming out through a track, and they do it every song, mm-hmm. and it, it, does, it doesn't get old. No, it doesn't get old. This no. album had because you can... discover things that you, every listen. You know, you discover yeah. something new. I don't know if Nick, you knew this, but this album has uh, guest musician Billy Gibbons on it. Yes, it does. Wow, I know you. The Z's, the Z's, Z's we is Christ. We were just <laughs> we were just listening to the Z's this last weekend when we were going to see a Tigers game. The Z's are wonderful. Um, yes, this album's amazing. And if you, I saw this Reddit post, this guy who said his uh, special needs sister is a huge, like, her favorite thing in the world is Halloween and horror movies. Yeah. And this album is, like, her go to. It's awesome. So, just yeah. it's whatever key they're in and just some of the, like, little noises that they sneak in, the little sound effects, you know, from, like, the old, like, 50s movies and the yes. the whistles and the bells and the just all the shit that they do that makes them the quirky band that they are yeah, uh, really shine on that record. And it's like the, it's like the perfect campfire movie. Yeah. Or a, a record movie. Well, not only that, but it's like the perfect spice. Having a sense of humor, but like some of that macabre and some of that pensive and some of that, like, yeah. like I said, that sad kind of passive aggressive rock vibe. Yeah. It's just perfect for that type of music. So, anyway, they continued afterwards with Era Vulgaris. The fifth album released June 2007 and received generally positive reviews from critics. Following the album's touring cycle, the band took a break to focus on individual projects, during which Hom continued to produce and create more records outside the band. Era Vulgaris is a great record, and I have to play a track from it now because it is one of those records that, like, I feel like gets sometimes gets lost. Maybe I'm wrong. It, it's a hard record to chew, but once you swallow, you're happy you did. Well put. Thanks. 2007, too, was a weird year for me because I had just gotten out of the service. Yeah. And I remember I was a huge fan of Lullabies, and I was like, what are they going to do now, man? Like, you know, like fifth album, a lot of bands at that point specifically in my pretty life pretty much done yeah pretty, pretty much, much done. done and it's it's like oh here comes the pop record or whatever or the it's like they're gonna go change like the back stripped down sad sack shit album although i love sea change future episode i think it was just a great transitional record from them being kind of just uh more you know like a fuzzy rock band you know like pop poppy rock fuzzy band to mm-hmm. being a you know to going out and becoming so damn interesting. 
True. Well, this is the Enema song. For me, at least. so good so yeah yeah I, like i said i was mad when i first heard it because i was like this is too fucking good that you can't write five albums and be this good but i i loved it like it, it, it again it continues that whole like the halloweeny aspect and then the the play of it being called six six sick and having like six 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 like kind of that evil macabre yeah. feel to it. Yeah. And the riff is so fucking awesome. The music video is awesome. This is like when Alice takes the mushroom and goes to Wonderland. Wonderland. Yeah. Like we're in Wonderland with Queens of the Stone Age on this record. Yeah. And this is the album specifically too, where in the music video you see all the members, you see Troy, you see Josh is like still just a fucking tall as shit dude just rocking the fuck out and he's the ginger Paul Bunyan oh yeah well, is it, he's 6'6 six, 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 right yeah. or 6'4 six, 5 and the velvet yeah. Elvis they call him yeah uh, velvet Elvis cinnamon Elvis from ginger from ginger Elvis to ginger Elvis to uh, blonde Bowie now blonde, yeah yeah he's more blonde now nowadays strawberry blonde <sighs> alright so we continue our our, our streak as post era vulgaris that's when it becomes them crooked vultures Pooh, them crooked vultures that record is like freaking flawless talk about following up your fifth album you know i had no idea that this was even happening i knew that him and Obviously, Grohl were still friends and still close, but like I had no idea this was coming. It's always kind of weird when like you've got these, you know, these like rock stars that you just love, and they go on and do supergroups. To me, like I've always had a hard time with the supergroups because it's like sure. I just want another Queen's record, you know True. what I mean, or I want another Foo Fighters record, or, or, yeah. or I want another fucking Led Zeppelin record. I know, but so like you're kind of skeptical going in, but I'm like, wait a minute here. Josh is like, you know, borderline one of my favorite singers and guitar players. Dave is like my favorite drummer. John Paul Jones is just like a fucking, he's the he's, he's a music the, sorcerer. He's yeah. the heart of Zeppelin. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, immigrant song is to this day. I mean, 
lists are fickle top songs go back and forth but i i can listen to immigrant song every day yeah yeah for sure that's a it's a there's there's yeah. a ri- the rhythm to that is just primordial it it's is. like in every man woman person's dna just that fucking driving oh yeah and the it, vocal this screaming vocal is just so cool and having him i mean look we're we're just gonna play a song from them crooked vultures so it's dave grohl john paul jones from led zeppelin and josh making a record and i'll just say it i think the them crooked vultures album is just as good as any of the best queens of the stone oh, age 100 percent. so Having the backing vocals with Grohl too is also what makes this record kill, and the the drumming is just so good between this and Songs for the Deaf. I mean, having Grohl in the pocket like that yeah. is such an asset. I, I I know people out there adore the Foo Fighters, and believe me, I get it. They're America's rock band <laughs> for a reason, yeah. but. When you get Grohl on the skins like that and the drums, like it just fucking makes your record perfect. I mean, there's a reason Nevermind is like every fucking guitar player's usually they're one of their first records that they're obsessed with. He's got an you know? adamantium backbone. Yes. You know, and if he's in your band, you, you got the strongest fucking backbone and foundation. For sure. And it's... It's just a great record. You gotta check out them Crooked Vultures if you haven't. It's do yourself a fucking major favor. Do yourself a solid majorly. So, in 2010, following his work with rock supergroup them Crooked Vultures, Han began performing more live shows with Queens of the Stone Age. Following a deluxe reissue of Rated R. A 2011 re-release of the de- debut album, corresponding tour followed. Following the album. 
featuring the album played front to back in the style in which it was recorded. This was the first time many of the songs had been performed live since the album's original release. That's always interesting to go back. Have you ever gone back and tried to relearn songs you wrote when you were younger? Yes, and it's hard. It's mm. it's 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 a tough, especially because there's always weird things. Where it's just like I don't remember what I tuned to back then. Mm-hmm. I've like flipped through old notebooks to try to figure it out, and sometimes you're listening to like the actual recording, and you're like, I have no idea. <laughs> No idea how I pieced that one together. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have some weird tuning because you just got it in your craw to like try something. You're like, yeah. oh, Thurston Moore did it. Time for me to yeah. play some weird nasally chords. Yeah, I feel like the first tuning I ever experimented with was like a drop A because mm. Placebo did it on a song, but it was like up instead of drop. So it was like... Dr- turning it all the way up high to A. Oh, okay. So an up A. <laughs> it was like a buzz A. Yeah. Buzz A. Yeah, you'd have to have the, the thinnest strings on the planet to be able to do that. Or just want to break your guitar, which I did. So on June 4th, 2013, after a tumultuous writing and recording process, Queens of the Stone Age released their sixth album, Like Clockwork, receiving high praise from critics as well as topping the Billboard 200 charts. Like Clockwork highlights Hans' collaborative writing process and features guests such as Elton, John, Dave Grohl, Alex Turner, Jake Shears, Trent Reznor, Mark Lanigan, Nick Oliveri, and Hans' wife, Brody Dell. Who's Jake Shears? Jake Shears. Let me that whole mix, I was uh, just like, who? He's in the Scissor Sisters, I think, isn't he? Uh, American singer and songwriter, best known co-lead vocalist of New York City pop rock band Scissor Sisters. Okay, yeah. That's on Dad's uh, car playlist for my girls because I don't feel like dancing is a, is a bopper for the teens. Yeah. Yeah, Scissor Sick. Sisters is good. Uh, like Clockwork... Fucking A. This record. Obviously, he had gone into a coma. Dude almost died. Like, his heart had stopped. He was in... I mean, you can find this online if you look at... Like, there's a YouTube video basically detailing this whole thing. Like, the tragedy behind Like Clockwork. Like, he he was struggling. He had to have like a transfusion and all this stuff. And like literally Fairweather friends was written about his experience being in the hospital. You know, a lot of, a lot of this album is like catharsis for that period. And you, you feel it like it's a dark record, but still not as dark as I think people say, because for me, all the records have darkness to them. If that makes any sense. I just don't think it's like that big of a bleak end of the world album. Like Mm. some fans say, I think what it is, is a couple of songs are like doozies. And for me, I mean, I gotta be real with you. If, if I'm going to play a song off of like clockwork, it's for sure going to be the, the one following here. Nick, did you, did you get into this album? I've not listened to this album, I think, at all. Really? Yep. Well, let me let me make let me change that. Calling a 
I couldn't understand. Right. What what's wrong with playing your favorite thing you always wanted to play, but it's not out there, so you create it. That's are it seems like that's the job actually. <laughs> yeah. Know? And how can you lo- how can you love my stuff if I don't? Right, right, right. What what are the fucking chances like zero point zero is Hey Josh. What's going on? <laughs> hey, I'm doing an interview with this guy, this uh, rock and roll guy called Hom. Heard, you heard of him? Yeah, I heard of him. I heard of him. He's pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How have you been since the last Okay. Episode? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah. What's Where like? are you now? I'm at home. In uh, LA? Oh, hey. That's Camille. Hi, home. We're playing All with right. Him. He's hey. Hi. Hey there. Homework. Right. Okay, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. 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 Of course. And, uh, yeah, man, and thanks for doing the track. I know I've thanked you already, but I'll thank yeah. you in public. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've been busy? Last time I talked, you were just watching telly. <laughs> yeah, I, I came to L.A. I'm in L.A. now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So we came came here, and uh, I've been doing just various things, seeing people. Because now you know, you can actually see people. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you vaccinated? I'm not vaccinated. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. Right, double, well, double Pfizer. Double, double, you doubled the Pfizer. Double Pfizer, right there, man. Right here, right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you got yeah, enough. Yeah, you know. because now I can just hug you when I see you next. Oh, we had to pee. <laughs> we had to let it go. We had to take a quick break, but we're back talking about the Queens of the Stone Age and Josh Homme and all his great musical output. Teach, did you want to say anything about like Clockwork 2013? Uh, definitely my favorite Queens of the Stone Age record. Um, I know we're going to get into like our top 10. Oh, for sure. Here in a little bit. But like, if, if I could, I would just say this record, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's amazing. Just front to back. It's a it, desert Island record. It's just incredible. I don't know what to say about it. Like it's got the like perfect vibe. I sat by the ocean. I appear missing, which we played pretty much in its full so the bone face artwork. <laughs> yeah, it's it kind of the start. I I think that is probably my all time favorite cover art ever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, aesthetically, it's so pleasing. It sounds amazing on vinyl. It sounds amazing like full res audio in your headphones. It's yeah. It's it's all those things that you want it to be and more. It's a it's a quintessential rock record. Yeah, and you know he as for for as how many guests he has on the album, it's not overwhelming when you listen to it. No, it's not like it's a full on Queens of the Stone Age record made by a no. guy who is a musician who loves music. So yes, uh, I don't even know what to say about the album. Honestly, it it it's. It's the best one, I think, for sure. But let's get into Villains a little bit, shall we? Yes. So Villains is the seventh album, released August 25th, 2017. This was a big record for me, too, because 
obviously after like clockwork, it's going to be hard to follow up. And I think specifically, I remember thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no, this is going to be not so great because it's, how do you follow that up? But I think in this instance, again, kind of to our benefit as fans, they did the right thing. They kind of changed directions a little bit. Yeah, it's it's like, why do I have to try to be better than the last one when I will just be different on all of them? Right. You know? And that works, especially on the first track, Feet Don't Fail Me. It was immediately like a dance record, basically. Oh, yeah. Like there was a groove. <clears throat> it's a disco a, album. <laughs> yeah, and it's so much better for it because I think in retrospect, it highlights some of the things that were hinted at in other records. And it's natural. And immediately, you know, it's a Queen's record. You feel that it's a Queen's record and it just fucking owns bones. That's all I can say about it. It's a good record. I mean... And it's still dark. Fortress is a great song, and it has that vibe to it, like a darker vibe to it that I love. And even Villains of Circumstance and The Evil Is Landed, like all fucking good, banger-ass Queen songs. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I would say that that first track is probably my favorite of on that record. But overall, I think in some ways, because of how good like clockwork is it can get overshadowed i 
think it's a great record to start with. Yeah, it shouldn't be ignored at all. I mean, it's it's you know the later the later Queen's records are just so different from the earlier Queen's records, and uh, you should it's like you should listen to like the first batch together, and then like later listen to the like the the second batch, you know, to kind of really understand like the curb to where the band went. Yes, you know, and Villains is a great. It's it's just great in the progression of things. It works. It's 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 a great record, and it's also has no collaborate no collaborations. None at all. Similarly, okay. this that it was produced by also um, actually this is the one that was produced solely by Mark Ronson, mm-hmm. which is crazy, but cool. Like it works for them. It, it works. And it's part of what is now being seen with In Times New Roman, which is coming out this week that this comes out. It is similarly has this kind of vibe that started with Light Clockwork and has continued even in Villains. And now, from what I've heard of the singles, has that vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and it's supposedly a trilogy. Yep. which is fucking sick. Like, I don't know people who do that, but, like, this is... I mean, I guess you could have said that same thing with Bowie, with, like, Ziggy, and then the Thin White Duke era, and then later, and... I I love that these three albums, especially with the... Like, we mentioned Boneface. You're, you're a fan of his art, oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You mentioned that to me before. I love the the style and from what i've heard this next one is supposedly a very dark record yeah i'm, I'm so glad I've, about that i've heard comparisons to lullabies to paralyze and even self-title cool so i don't know all i know is all i've heard from the new record which is the two singles and that those fucking songs are awesome and here is the second carnivore. Thank you. Nothing, nothing, nothing inside.
I don't know about you guys, but the first time I heard that, I got glassy-eyed. Yeah, I got all the tingly winglies on my arm right now. I, <laughs> I fucking love that song, and spoiler alert, it's in my top ten. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I listened to it so much, I sent it to my fucking dad who could give a shit less, but I'm like, you should listen to music again. I, I've done that before, where like, I'm just like, mom, you should hear this record, it's so good. It's like, is it Sting or Barry Manilow? Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's not even Jewish. Anyway. I know, but I'm just saying. Culturally, anyway, yeah. Hey, our grandfather was. Yeah, exactly, yep. Um, yes, in Times New Roman, we couldn't be more excited for it. It comes out this week. You should definitely check it out. We've talked about Queens of the Stone Age. Obviously, I don't want to get into too much personal stuff because I'm such a fan of this band. I think I did the same thing with Trent Reznor episode. Look, if you want the fucking TMZ shit, go find the TMZ shit. I highly suggest listening to Josh Homme talk about the band, about his process. He's a really articulate individual. I definitely appreciate his politics, which generally are like fuck politics, because who wants to fucking talk about it at this point? We just want the world to change, or we want people to shut the fuck up and get off our lawn. That's basically been the episode... But we're going to talk about our top 10. Tej or Sad Dad. Tell Sad Dad. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Also, I'm going to play a little of his the post-pop depression <clears throat> in the background here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. I forgot about that record. Um, so I'll preface by saying that, you know, trying to come up with a top 10 for Queens of the Stone Age is pretty tough because, like I said earlier, I'd probably just pick the, like, clockwork record. But, like, I wanted to have a list that showcased songs from most, if not all, other albums and uh, kind of some flavorful choices, too. So, uh, first, I I just, I looked at Them Crooked Vultures and I'm like, all right, what's my favorite track off that record? And... Um, it was kind of between Spinning in the Daffodils and Gunman, but I kind of figured you were going to pick Spinning in the Daffodils. <laughs> yeah. So I picked Gunman. Uh, it's a, just a rager of a track. I mean, they performed it again here at the Taylor Hawkins benefit, um, and it was just, it, they just slayed, and they just kind of like solidified that one of, you know, in, in my mind as one of Josh Homme's best. Um I will say too. Um, yeah, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Um, all right. So then I've got regular John because you know, Come on, yeah, regular John. I mean, they're Matt, they're Matt, notorious for their like album openers. Regular John for me is like Matt Yonker the song. Yes, exactly, exactly. Regular Matt. Um, yeah. For for me, it's it's the one where if if people say they don't like Queens or don't care for them because it's just like oh okay so you heard a, some of songs for the deaf and you didn't like it for whatever reason <laughs> it, whatever that's like, fine but I'm like just regular junk I mean come on listen to this song Agreed. and look me in the eye and tell me it sucks you can't yeah. and if you tell me that like I mean you basically just tell me you don't like rock and roll right it's like hey it's fine you just you don't like rock and roll apparently. yeah 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 um. Next, from Rated R, I've got In the Fade. Um, I really think that that song became one of my favorites when I heard the. Uh, there's a iTunes uh, live version of that song from an iTunes festival they did um, quite a few years ago. And 
the version of that song on that live version or whatever it just kind of floored me yeah um so i love that track a lot uh i gotta give like more credit though to uh oh god what's the song that they had the music video for off rated r um, oh, uh, Monsters in the Parasol? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to say that one because that riff is so rad. Yeah, oh yeah. And the lyrics, you know, the lyrics, he's yeah. just so clever and weird. He's, and I don't think, if we haven't said it in this episode, I apologize. But lyrically, he's, uh, and like every song has something clever to oh it. yeah it's all about the play on words for josh i mean you can hear it in the song titles and his lyrics everything else i mean hell they they do that with their guitars the way that like him and troy communicate to like in a song back and forth with their guitars and their tones it's almost like they're mocking each other you know yes. what i mean yeah uh but like it's, they're shit, they're they're literally shit posting each other live yeah, with guitars. Yeah, yeah, and you can hear it on yeah. the albums. It's it's so cool. That's that's one of my favorite things about this band. I think some of the best bands fight. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about like shout at each other, but like in the music, they like you're fighting each other. Yeah. Yes. Just to be like be like, no, it's like it's, it's not a power struggle. It's just this sounds better. Fuck you for playing what you're playing. <laughs> you know, like it's. Yeah. Hell yeah. Next one I've got um, from Songs for the Deaf is uh, You Think Ain't Worth a Dollar. I mean, it, you know, that song just another album starter. We played you, it earlier. Yeah, it's 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 fucking it's literally like it was on a Mountain Dew commercial and it's fuck <laughs> it, it is it's dopamine for the brain like immediately like they must have been drinking a lot of Mountain Dew when they were writing that song it's a rage. I feel like they, I feel like yeah. there was a Mountain Dew lover in the audience who first heard that and then he went you know what my name's John T. Monster, and I'm starting a soda company just as well <laughs> I got an IV of Mountain Dew <laughs> Uh, subscription to fentanyl. Anyway, sorry. yeah. And then the guy that made Bang Energy crawled out of a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just next. imagine the Gollum voice. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Next, I've code got Code Red. Code Red. <laughs> code Red, precious. <laughs> code Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, code <laughs> <laughs> the next one I've got is The Blood is Love from uh, the Ultimate Campfire record. Uh, Lullabies. Lullabies. To the Blood is Love. Just the, I think the guitar progression in that and how like uh, like Spanish it sounds. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But how like, oh, it's just, that song's a rager too. It's bizarre. It's probably a drug-induced rager of a song, but like it's just one of my favorites. I like a lot of their B-sides. They're more noisier, odd songs, you know, the kind of like uncomfortable songs on the record. Yeah. Those are always my favorite. Um, off Air Valgaris, I've got Misfit Love. Ugh. I mean, you know, that's just like a whole... Also, fuck music. I mean, honest <laughs> to God, maybe it hasn't been said enough. This is like fucking music. A lot of these defined. Like, if it... If you're one of these people who's like, I want to have some good background music, like, but you want to have like the rock element to it, this yeah, I, you really can't go wrong with this, and that's a great song. Yeah, that takes you on a, that song takes you on a journey. Yes, it's just it's sex and it's it's masculine and it's mm-hmm. probably very drug induced, you know, yes. as well. But it's just it's a fucked up. 
uh, sonic adventure that I just I love to go on every time I listen to it. Um, next one I've is kind of the same way. At first, after I got Light Clockwork, I saw this as kind of almost like the goofy song on the record. But after watching the music video for it, it all made sense. Yes, and became my favorite. Smooth sailing. Yep. Uh, another just completely fucked up adventure through different yeah. tones and sounds and like it yeah but the play it, on lyrics though too you yeah know, with all of these are just so clever and almost like borderline hilarious at times uh yes you know and like s tier shit like it's just they <laughs> they nail this dynamic in in storytelling and it, I, I remember hearing an interview with him where he specifically talked about this is the only way i know how to communicate and thinking like so you wrote a song called Feel Good, Feel Good Hit of the Summer. What am I supposed to gain from that other than Party Hard? And then I'm like, yeah, Party Hard. That's cool. You got to have that song. But it, but it's true. Like, There's so much to be said in the poetry of, of lyrics in a song. And uh, what makes a song even better is when you're able to attach multiple meanings to said song. So, yeah, I agree. Like, That's... You mentioned smooth sailing, yeah. Like th- those songs, all of those songs, every song that you've said or that we've mentioned on here has multiple meanings to it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, next, uh, which would be, I want to say, number seven on my list is "Unreborn Again," and that's mm-hmm. on Villains. Villains. Uh, it's another kind of weird track, but I love the play on words that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the no huggy, no kissy yeah. until I get a wedding ring, and then like right after he says that, you hear a ring with a little sparkle, like <laughs> in the song, like stuff like that. <laughs> like he's the king of that stuff. Yeah, he like- is the king of slapping you in the face with like humor in the middle of a song well especially he talks about the way you can get like good sounds from things when he's talking to paul mccartney in that interview he's talking about oh you got the reference with the or the idea with the using a lighter for for a track like giving it that that zippo kind of sound to it yeah yeah and uh yeah He's the you get that Mr. Sparkle kind of glow to that moment with the ring, like you said, or having those little little sound. And then even in someone's in the wolf, they they specifically use like almost like the sound of somebody eating. Yeah. During one part, and it gives us like real good creepy vibe. Yeah, uh, I feel like he he pull and I see I see this in Josh's voice. Like I hear it in his voice, and I can hear it with his tones he really does reach for the spooky vibe too and like he's i've heard i feel like anyway i've in, i've heard him incorporate little weird whistles and sounds from like really really old black and white cartoons yes yeah you know uh and i i just love how he can pull that stuff in there because that really contributes to like the vibe of these the songs vibe, you know the, it really does yeah it, it takes you back and puts you in a weird place and it's just it's just cool yes kind of cool um number nine so like i'm venturing um out from queens or no let's see no that's not number nine that was number seven so number eight i did pick the uh carnivore the new 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 track uh just because it's really what i was hoping for Yes. That doesn't happen a lot when you just get right when what you were hoping for. So they just released the, their second single from this new album coming out here shortly. And uh, 
it took me back to like clockwork and you know i don't think a band should always try to rehash their sound completely um they didn't do it 100 percent, but like it, it it brought like the perfect vibe and uh you know he's showcasing new shit like the guitar tones are so cool and a little different um but yeah kind of a melancholy like cool balls to the wall vibe i think one of the things i heard and was like a tagline to the press release for the end times new roman record was something along the lines of we just made music we wanted to listen to yeah and that's what you should do anyway yeah for sure uh so let's see number nine then is where i go outside of the queen's realm and i I say Pulling the Pin is a song that I love that he guests on, and it's a Run the Jewels track from Run the Jewels, uh, what is it, Run Run the Jewels 4? Yes. Their last record. Uh, It's like the second to last song on the album. Um, He doesn't really sing on it. I think that he might do some oohs and ahs, but his guitar and everything i don't know if he like made the beat for that song or what but his guitar is all over it and it's just that like crazy you know reverby sound that just bounces off the walls just echoes through my brain and uh he created a really cool vibe on that song i love that song because of what he does on it um and then number 10 i've got uh crawl home which was a desert sessions track with pj harvey i think that's a really really cool song gotta love pj harvey um yeah she's amazing she is amazing her voice it's such a like it's like a desert sounding track with her like super cool like chill sexy voice it's just so cool they also had the make it with you version with her and then they re-recorded it for lullabies um yeah, Desert Sessions was founded in 97, actually previous to Queens of the Stone Age uh, at Rancho de la Luna in Joshua Tree, California, describing it as a musical collective series that cannot be defined. It's basically like jams. Just a bunch but, of pals hanging out and making music. Which is fucking yeah. rad as fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't really hit on that, but it's it's great. They've had artists, PJ Harvey, Twiggy Ramirez, Dave Ketching, Nick Oliveri, Mark Lanigan, Ben Shepard, John McBain, Josh Fries, drummer for the Foo Fighters now. Yeah. Chris Goss, Elaine. Alan, Johan- Alan, Alan Johannes. Alan yeah. Johannes. Dean Ween. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Great stuff. Also, I will mention my 10 quickly here. Spinning in the Daffodils from Them Crooked Vultures is probably one of my all-time favorite songs, too. So good. I Appear Missing, You Can't Quit Me Baby, off the self-titled. Someone's in the Wolf, off Lullabies. Yes, Epic Choices. Misfit Love, off Era Vulgaris. Also, You Think I Ain't Worth a Dollar, But I Feel Like a Millionaire. Yeah, there it is. Lost Art of Keeping a Secret. Off Rated R. Wonderful track. Feet Don't Fail Me. Six Six Sick. Off Era Vulgaris. And If I Had a Tail. Yes. Those are my my. Those are all my favorites. I love all those songs. Yes. (laughs) We love them all. But you should love us. Like us on the YouTubes. Follow us on social media. Also, follow us on... uh, Give us a rate review. We'll shout you out on the show. There's all kinds of stuff for you to do. Nick, what do you got going on? Do you have anything you want to promote? Is Fidakin, like, getting close to putting out anything, like, single-wise from the um, new record? 
we are going through the mixing phase, but yeah, we did uh, recently record our uh, first record. It's going to be called Wet Work. Uh, and again, the, yeah, the band's Fidakin. Uh, we just went to Electrical Audio in Chicago. That was a fun experience. And yeah, it'll be uh, 13 tracks and some interludes and things too. So it'll be a big, big record. Um, hopefully not a double LP. I don't know what the actual runtime is on it yet. Uh, but we're going to make sure it's a single LP. I'm really excited to, to, to share it. And it uh, should be out this fall. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, follow us on stuff. Follow us on Facebook and uh, Twitter, if, I guess, if you want to follow us in that fucking hellscape. Or follow us on Instagram. That's the best place. Zanzizi Podcast on Instagram at Zanzizi Pod. That's been your episode. Sad Dad. What was your nickname today? Oh, we didn't even... I, I was dish gonna rag. Di- dish rag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sad Dad and Dish Rag, I love you very much. Thank you for being on the show again. Thanks for having us, buddy. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah. We'll see Always. you again.
This has been a presentation of Beer City Media.